Hey, everybody. Fantastic episode of the Bitcoin show today. We dive into Bitcoin ordinals and what has happened in the month since the last time that we had an ordinals focused show. Trevor Owens of Ninja Alerts and also the Bitcoin Frontier Fund really breaks down the current state of affairs with ordinals, what the sentiment difference looks like between ordinals and other crypto NFT ecosystems like Ethereum. And we talk about the challenges facing ordinals as well as the areas that ordinals seem ripe to disrupt in the NFT market. So overall, it's a really great show. Hope you enjoy it. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to The Bitcoin Show. If it is your first time listening, we run the show every single Tuesday. Today is an exception because of the holiday yesterday, but normally on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern time, where we discuss all things Bitcoin past present, and future. Everything about Bitcoin itself, everything that's being built on Bitcoin, and just about everything in between. The show happens right here on Twitter Spaces, but it's also available on Apple and Spotify podcasts if you want to share it with people outside of the Twitter bubble that we're operating in. So make sure that you share the show with any Bitcoin lovers or people that are learning, to, uh, looking to learn about Bitcoin outside of the space. Also, we are going to pin a tweet to the top. That's just going to be a link to this show. Yeah, it looks like it's pinned now. Make sure that you retweet that tweet if you enjoyed the show. It'll just help get this show in front of as many eyeballs, as many listeners as possible right here on Twitter. Obviously, we want the show to spread as much as it possibly can. And during the discussion, if you have any questions, if you want to actually contribute to the discussion, especially on a day like today, where it's a discussion about Bitcoin ordinals, you know, versus an interview with a uh, with a guest, uh, definitely use the button on the bottom right of your screen, that purple chat button, to write down any questions that you have or any topics of conversation that you'd like to dive into. Request to speak and actually come on stage. You're more than welcome to share your opinions on Bitcoin, Bitcoin ordinals, or anything that's going on in the Bitcoin universe. Uh, I'm your host, P.O., of course, and here with my co-host, Trevor Owens, investor in many Bitcoin startups, partner at the Bitcoin Frontier Fund, the CEO of Ninja Alerts. If you didn't know what Ninja Alerts was before, I bet you do now. And then, of course, the host of The Ordinal Show uh, right on Twitter spaces as well. How's it going, Trevor? Going good, P.O., going good, man. Um Happy 4th of July, everybody. Hope you had a great holiday. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk about ordinals. I never get sick of it. So here we are. <laughs> yeah, you can say that again. The host of the Ordinal Show is not sick of discussing ordinals. Uh, Aubrey, Aubrey Strobel would normally be co-hosting the show with us. She is a marketing partner at Trust Machine. She's a host of The Observation, big-time Bitcoin content creator and former head of communications at Lolly, now filmmaker, uh, premiering her film that's Bitcoin-focused at film festivals literally all over the world. So definitely a very sophisticated co-host on the show. But unfortunately, Aubrey's not going to be able to make it today. We, she will be missed. And uh, assuming, you know, hopefully she'll be able to be back next week. Uh, also have a, a pal of mine, a partner in my business, Easy, here today. Easy uh, keeps his eyes on the market very, very closely. He's been trading markets uh, for over a decade now since he was a teenager. And, uh, and, you know, he's paid very close attention to Bitcoin ordinals. He's abreast of all the trends that are happening on the Bitcoin side. Easy, how's it going? Doing well, doing well. Cannot complain. It's always a uh, fun and engaging day in the ordinals ecosystem. 
Hell yeah. And uh, Easy's one of the people that was able to educate me on some of the technical components of Ordinals when Ordinals was first rising to prominence. So love having Easy here to discuss uh, Ordinals on this show. So look, I want to get, you know, just kind of kick things off the state of affair with Ordinals. Last time we had a high level Ordinals discussion on the show was, was about a month ago. Wouldn't be surprised if the, this becomes kind of like a once every four or five week cadence, uh, you know, for discussing Ordinals. But back then, you you know, what we were discussing is the surge in BRC tokens and the popularity of rare sat hunting as it was beginning to pick up steam. Uh, in the months since, you know, since we actually had that show, we've seen the NFT market on Ethereum really take a dive after there was a large mint from an NFT collection called the Zuki. It raised almost $40 million on a primary sale and then underwhelmed. And, uh, you know, during the same time period, we've seen the price of Bitcoin surge up 18% in the last 30 days to over 30,000. And it's also almost like the cat is out of the bag a little bit with BlackRock filing for an ETF. And as we discussed with Joel McCann and Pete Rizzo on the last two shows, or the last two episodes of the Bitcoin show, uh, BlackRock has only ever uh, been rejected when filing for an ETF one time. So, uh, you know, the kind of the word on the street, so to speak, the assumed, um, you know, outcome is that eventually this ETF is going to get approved. So you're seeing a ton of action on Bitcoin, but we want to talk about ordinal specifically. So two of the biggest ordinals mints uh, thus far have taken place since that last show on-chain monkeys dimensions, which we've talked about on the show several times. I believe we've also had Danny on in some of these ordinals uh, discussions. You know, the founder of on-chain monkeys, and then also ordinal maxi biz. You know, ZK Shark, uh, friend uh, of ours on the NFT Morning Show, uh, hasn't been a guest on this show yet, but hopefully we can get him in the future. His ordinal maxi biz collection has uh, definitely gotten a lot of attention and is performing quite well on the secondary market. Um, so Trevor, I wanted to see, and, and obviously, you know, we're going to have to talk about Ninja Alerts and the things that Trevor has going on too, because I'm seeing it get a lot of attention in the ordinal world and just NFTs in general. But Trevor, what do you make of where we're at right now with ordinals, given everything that's happened in the past month? Yeah, I mean, we're definitely in, a, in an exciting place. I mean, there's a lot of innovation um, still happening. I think that we need more builders. I mean, there's so many, so much low hanging fruit out there still. I think a lot of the early builders that came in have uh, built marketplaces, have built wallets, have built new tech. You know, there's a lot of things on the horizon. There's um, Ord Games, which is the first um, basically game asset issuance protocol. So it's a way to issue, issue assets for on-chain games. It's pretty cool. Um, there is this idea of recursion that's come up with um, on-chain monkey, how they did their, uh, their ordinals and each ordinal is under a kilobyte in, in space, but it leverages a previous inscription of JavaScript libraries, like such as three JS and P five dot JS, which allows them to um, actually, it's a platform now that anybody can use. Now, anybody doing ordinals can use the recursion to leverage libraries that other people have inscribed, such as, P5.js or um, 3.js, and it's it's done in a way that's actually you know I'm not trying to I'm never trying to knock Ethereum, but I just want to be straight up, which is that you know if you look at the ERC721 standard, it requires a token URL, and so even with Artblocks, you have a situation where the token URL goes to Artblocks' website, and um, P5.js and 3.js are actually not on chain, 
Um, we could argue that, hey, they're, um, that's fine because the libraries are very well adopted around the world um, and have, you know, lots of people hold copies of them. But there's, we're, we're showing more things that ordinals can do that actually stack up and make it a little bit, a little bit better than I think what is provided with ERC-721. We've actually even seen F-scriptions on, on Ethereum where people are now making uh, inscriptions on Ethereum and finding out that they're actually 20 times cheaper than, than doing NFTs through smart contracts with uh, ERC-721. That, that was something I didn't expect, which, you know, I thought it was kind of just like what you typically see in the timeline with like, you know, uh, derivatives of derivatives of derivatives, but there's actually, there's actually kind of a little bit of merit to it. You know, I, I don't know if it'll take off because I think people have been cemented in a certain way of building and doing things. And, um, you know, that's just very interesting to follow. Um, rare sats continues to chug along. I mean, there's just, there's not, there's no way right now to even recognize rare sats in your wallet. I keep uh, pinging experts being like, guys, when, 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 um, you know, there's, there's, there's not a lot of good analytics tools on, on rare sats. Um, you can kind of think of rare sats almost like their own, like meme token, essentially, uh, like a native meme token on Bitcoin, um, with the Casey Rodimer rare sats being the, I think, the most well adopted and probably having the most value in terms of scarcity and, you know, recognition from the, the creative ordinals themselves and just very logical and well designed in terms of how they work. There's also lots of other types of rare sats like the pizza sats, you know, and I'm, I'm looking right now, I'm, I'm trying to find pizza sats that also have other attributes as they're called attributes of the sats attributes that have you know you have pizza sats that can that can be uncommon you have pizza sats that can be uh palindromes i'm trying to find all these uh out there for our collection um and yeah like there's you know you you I, it's there's no tool out there where i can just say show me all the pizza sats and show me what other attributes there are just like so much low-hanging fruit for people to build the idea of recursion reduces the cost by an order of magnitude for inscribing you know, when we were thinking about doing um, the Ninja Alerts uh, PFPs, we were looking at 600 by 600 pixels, 1,500 items, 30 grand, okay? For 600 by 600 pixels, 1,500 items. With recursion, we inscribe the traits themselves and we combine the traits through recursion to make the PFPs and inscribing a couple hundred traits for 1,500 items using recursion at 2,000 pixels by 2,000, up from 600, okay? Like more than three times larger, uh, five grand. Okay. Reduction of six X in cost to do this now. And it's still, you know, one of the benefits of Ordals we always say is like, it's going to price out the crap. I don't think it reduces it like to the level where you're going to, we're going to have a touch of a bunch of, um, you know, as many like rug projects coming in, all, all of the rugs are focused on like, there's been some rugs. There's been, but it's a lot of like phishing websites with wallet trainers and stuff like that, where people sign a transaction. They don't, they don't uh, recognize what it does. Um, but we haven't seen as many like just low effort printing of NFTs type of like um, projects, which is great. Um, and there's also this idea of having inscriptions become more aware of Bitcoin's state. And so with inscriptions and ordinals, you have the ability to write to any data that you want to Bitcoin. But through some of these new features coming out, we're actually able to read data as well, making it more of a full computing platform. And so by able to read data, what we're doing with the Ninja Alerts project is we're actually going to change the traits. So the traits will be immutable, meaning that they, we can never rewrite them once we write them, but we can also make them dynamic where they change based on Bitcoin's block height. So you can imagine a PFP that changes at the next halving, the next Bitcoin halving. You can imagine a PFP 
that changes every halving until there's no more halvings left. You can imagine PFP that changes when the last Bitcoin is issued from the Coinbase subsidy. Um, these are some cool things that you can do based on block height. You can do randomization. And this is just the, the tip of the iceberg in terms of having um, inscriptions be aware of Bitcoin state. You can imagine it goes further to be aware of how much balance you have in your wallet, to be aware of, you know, the be, be self-aware of the sats that they're inscribed on. Maybe they, maybe they, maybe a self, you know, aware AI is greater than, I'm just kidding. But exciting things are happening. You know, this kind of like, uh, um, we, could, we can imagine people creating decentralized front-end applications. So we saw with Ethereum on Tornado Cash that how the government goes after it is they, they go after the people hosting the front-end to communicate with the smart contract. We could see now that people, and this could even work collaboration between Bitcoin and Ethereum, let's go. You know, you have an Ethereum smart contract that is, let's say, Tornado Cash, put the front end in an inscription. Now it can never be taken down. And so these are some of the exciting avenues that I'm looking at. And, um, you know, even though we are in a, uh, where we had a bunch of liquidity taken off out of the market from the Azuki thing, we all, but we also had a lot of liquidity taken off from the meme, whole meme coin thing and the, the PSYOP and everything like that. Uh, definitely um, the mood on Ethereum, the two timelines are wildly different. The Ethereum timeline is like, you know, uh, a fist fight every day, whereas Ordinals, it's, it's much more kind of optimistic, a little more positive. I also think, honestly, and I've been tweeting about this a lot recently, I think that there's some serious discussion need to happen about the blur farming incentives and what that's doing to the current empty floors, because I've, I was skeptical of it in the beginning, but I saw some recent data that I think is pretty compelling to show that there, that there's incentives in the Ethereum market to lower the floor prices. There's literally incentives to cannibalize uh, the market uh, being given out through this, this farming incentive, you know, not to, not to uh, drag anyone's uh, name to the mud here, but literally just to look at what are these incentives doing on Ethereum? Is this having a big impact? Because if you do the math and you look at the data, it could be having quite a big impact while everybody's focused on, Hey, how disappointing is Azuki? How disappointing is, you know, uh, captains in meme land, there might be something systemic underneath uh, the covers here, which is like a slow boil also affecting the market on over on Ethereum that is not happening on Bitcoin right now. Yeah, and it's important to pay attention to that stuff because a lot of times it'll happen on a different blockchain first. For example, stuff like this actually happened on Solana before it happened on Ethereum, and then it plays out the same way on the other uh, blockchain. So I do think it's worth paying attention to if you are building in the ordinal space to just really pay attention to some of the incentives that have been created by marketplaces on different blockchains like Solana and Ethereum that have a longer history of distributing NFTs and and you know kind of just that whole side of the market, um, whereas it's relatively new ish uh, on Bitcoin comparatively. And I want to dig into the sentiment stuff that you just talked about, Trevor. But first, I just want to go to Easy because I, I don't know how much time that we have with him on the show. Easy to you uh, from from what you see on the ordinal side of the market, you know. I mentioned Ordinal Maxi Biz. I mentioned, uh, you know, the the other kind of projects on Chain Monkeys Dimensions, for example, that have uh, emerged since the last time we had an, an Ordinal specific conversation on this show. What would you make of the current state of the Ordinals market? The good, the bad, and the ugly. And what predictions would you make for the next couple of months? Yeah, I mean, right now it definitely seems like to Trevor's point, there has been like the drainer situation going around. You've seen phishing links, some of those other key things. And as of late, we've even started to see more free mints across the board because I think a lot of people started realizing too, like paying an absorbent amount of money for anything on ordinals without any clear path or even history in the space tends to not be 
as lucrative. I mean, something like OMB, which allow listed for 0.09 public sale, 0.29 Bitcoin. Many people saw it as expensive. Still instantly sold out, now trading. I think it touched as high as 0.44 BTC. So that's some serious size. And I think a lot of that comes down to the faith in ZK. And I'm, I'm really excited for the ninjas. I love the pizza videos that have been going around. I'm excited for Taproot Wizards. Just these projects from long-standing Bitcoiners that people are genuinely excited about. You've seen some volume, some volatility on these like Freeman style of things and some of that. But it, it seems like it's more just like quick flips versus people who are excited about the ecosystem and community. I like that Trevor brought up the attributes because that is something we're seeing a lot more talk of in projects that are trying to compound those and stack multiple into certain uh, like NFT assets. Like we saw OK Bears move over there and they're running a campaign right now. From their side of people actually not selling the bears and how many go without any liquidity or volume because their their floor price is being listed so high. And they're kind of like playing into that. And they're, those are all on block nine. So we did see a lot of speculation at first about block nine. And then it felt like there was a surge of that in the space where a lot of projects were getting block nine. I like that Trevor's going after the pizza sats and playing into the pizza videos. Like I think that that's just a lot of really cool underlying culture and history with Bitcoin that I think makes it fun. And that's something that a lot of people still forget about is like the collectible side of things is just as important as price go up. Like the aspect of that and making it a fun experience is something that I think a lot of people are coming back to, which is huge. And that's something that I'm really excited about. And it's where you are seeing more of that interest come into play. You've all, Every blockchain, when they first kick off, you see quality projects hit the ground running. People start doubling down on those. You see price action skyrocket. And then, of course, the, the grifty, scammy type of stuff comes into play where people are just trying to get a cut of the pie without any real intentions. And then it cycles back to like the build and deliver method, which is kind of where we are with ordinals now, especially as like net new users has started to decline when it comes to the ramp we saw. And we saw a massive run up in new wallets, new users when Magic Eden had launched their ordinals marketplace, put attributes on the site, um, and then even their attempt at the BRC20s, which they did have some issues with. But like, I just think it is still like, it's going to sound crazy. I still think it's early because like there is a lot of low hanging fruit that Trevor had said. And I'm even more interested to see what developments come from teams before launch, because they're like, with every cycle, you tend to see a faster moving aspect. With ETH, it was a lot of like open-ended promises when NFTs first hit the space. Then same idea with Solana. We saw Sui and Aptos come into play, but now like the king of all crypto with Bitcoin, I feel like that cycle moved much quicker where people move past the skepticism like i i didn't see a single tesla given away from a bitcoin ordinals mint which was shocking you know so i think <laughs> i think that's the crazy part is normally we get at least one of those and that usually marks the top of dgen mint season um but no nah, it's it's something i'm excited to see the future and i'm excited to see people and projects launch like launch products before going to mint and i i think that's kind of the phase we're in Absolutely. And, and easy there, drawing parallels to early hype cycles on other blockchains that we've seen in NFTs. And I actually felt, you know, sort of deja vu-like feelings watching some of the mints that were happening on ordinals, uh, you know, just watching some of the projects that are being developed and kind of almost seeing the movie for a second time. And it's going to be really exciting for me, like Easy talked about, to see what actually gets developed on the infrastructure side, because it feels like infrastructure that's being built, you know, with ordinals in mind and with BRC20s in mind and just Bitcoin in general is really, really juicy right now. Um, and I'm sure, you know, we can get into that a little bit later in the show. You know, to circle back to sentiment, you know, because we are kind of 
we're out of the initial major hype cycle and things usually do tend to cool off a little bit. It's still a, a kind of macro bear market, right? So this isn't the uh, this isn't the post having Bitcoin cycle that we're seeing right now. Trevor, you mentioned the difference in sentiment between you know call it ETH NFT Twitter or ETH Twitter versus you know Bitcoin and Ordinals uh, Twitter. Could you kind of expand on that a little bit and talk about what the current sentiment on Ordinals feels like? Yeah, I mean it, it feel it feels like you know you're uh, the cousins of the ETH community like coming in and trying to cheer them up and give them a pat on the back, tell them everything is going to be okay. Because for a few weeks, it was just like, yo, shit is good. Everything is good here. There's so much potential. The space is growing. We have quality projects coming out. We have the community coming together and, you know, calling out rugs and other scams and having, you know, open conversations, building new tech. And then it's just like, you know, as soon as you turn into the ETH timeline, it's like, you know, uh, spaces on spaces on spaces, talking about the same doom and gloom, you know, a, uh, a lot of um, uh, FUD from the, um, the Azuki, uh, Zuki Mint. Um, that was like a, all last week. I mean, it was like, you know, uh, the, the FUD from Ethereum is spilling over into the, into the Bitcoin community. You know, it's, it's, it's a weird place to be. So, you know, I, I always post this meme where there's like this meme of, um, a bunch of people in a in a uh, in a study where you know you have the control group and you have the the test group, and you you you're maybe you're testing like a, a drug on you know two different groups and like the there's a bunch of people sitting on a couch like they're just so bored and they're just like and there's a group of other people they're like dancing around naked and then the the group just sitting on the couch is like I think we're the control group here I don't think we're the test group like that's literally the vibe between the differences in the two communities right now. That's hilarious. Um, well, you know, it's uh, it's fascinating to see the difference in the sentiment. And you know, one thing I want to talk about is future catalysts, right? So, if you look at the next thirty plus days, and you think of what the big projects are that are potentially releasing on ordinals, I mean, Trevor, I have to tip my cap to you. It seems like there is a lot uh, of focus on ordinal ninjas. Beyond that, Taproot Wizards, of course, we've had Udi on this show several times, uh, arguably the most anticipated uh, project that's dropping on Ordinals. And I saw Udi posting, I think he's going to have Vitalik Buterin on a Twitter space tomorrow. I'm assuming that's not a joke and that's true, which is insane. Uh, I don't know if I've ever heard Vitalik speak on a Twitter space, so that'll be, I'm assuming that'll be pretty electric tomorrow. I'll definitely tune into that. Um, but yes, Taproot Wizards definitely anticipated. And then Meme Land. So for those not familiar, Meme Land uh, by 9gag is uh, an established, I call it a Web2 entity. They have millions of followers ac- across social media platforms, established organization, and they've been in the NFT space now for just about a year, I'd say. And they have a collection called MVPs. It is their uh, highest value collection. And they're actually teleburning and minting 111 of the MVPs from their company, Treasury, that are currently on Ethereum over to Ordinals. And the current floor price is roughly 100,000 US dollars, 53 Ethereum. So got to think that these are going to make some kind of splash on ordinals. And I, I think uh, you know it's fair to say that that's a top three most anticipated project. Easy. Did I miss anything bet- between you know Trevor's Ninjas, um, Meme Land, and Taproot Wizards? Anything else I'm missing? 
I think those are the current big three that a lot of people are anxious and waiting for. I'm definitely still even more interested in Vapor Vikings, which Trevor won't give me any insight on. So that's something that uh, I think we got to keep under wraps for a little bit longer. But uh, yeah, that's I think those are the big three. Trevor, any other projects that we miss? Maybe Vapor Vikings, but any, anything else besides your ninjas, Meme Land, and Taproot Wizards? I would say look at Peepos. Peepos is a pretty cool uh, collection to look at. Let me pull up a, a list here because there's definitely quite a few. Um, and you know, I'm pretty focused on what we're doing right now. So um, I can pull up a, a couple threads here in a second. But there's quite there's quite a few. I would say the kind of the big ones people were looking forward to for a few months were definitely OCM and OMB and those launches both killed it. Um, and um, going forward, like Taproot Wizards, Udi says sometime in 2023, you know, I think he's he's taking the really long-term view on it. And I think um, I think this is something for all artists and collection um, builders to to think about is like, you know, you can have you can have the sexiest trailer, you can have the sexiest art. But if you don't have a mission behind what you're doing and a way to connect and bond your community, um, like what really matters, why OMB is like really doing really well, and you can kind of see this in the data, is that people aren't buying the floor. Like people are actually going through the collection, they're buying above the floor because they're looking for a PFP that they want to use. They're looking for um, an item that they want to collect and hold. And that's an extremely bullish sign that can tell you, and, and I would love to compare you know, the across other collections across Ethereum versus ordinals, you know, what, which um, ecosystems and collections are people going into and buying above the floor uh, as a collector, as opposed to a trader, like we're seeing with ordinal maxi biz. And so, you know, th these communities are built uh, before the mint, they're built over time. Uh, Tabroos is an extreme example. Udi is literally, uh, you know, I believe Vitalik's getting an honorary Tabroos wizard tomorrow. And so, you know, he's had Arthur Hayes of, of uh, BitMEX uh, rocking a Taproot Wizard. Of course, he's got all the Bitcoin OGs we've had on this show, like Nick Carter, like Lop, like Eric Wall. You know, he's building this one brick at a time, and he kind of doesn't care about what the hype is happening in the market. He always gives the example of looking at, like, CryptoPunks. And CryptoPunks, you know, went through the bear market of uh, the post-ICO cycle, and they weren't, they weren't like cool. They weren't considered cool. But what you had is that everyone who was interested in supporting and building the Ethereum community picked one up and they rocked it as a, a PFP as a signal of, hey, we're in this together. We're on the same mission. We're building towards something. And I think that that is what makes something a blue chip in the long term, gives it historical value versus you know, the constant like, hey, we're going to throw uh, a, a, and hey, like I think I'm, I'm a big fan of these kind of things. But I'm saying that, you know, hosting a party at every single NFT conference, you know, having um, a, a, a big plan for what's going to come next. Those are those are important for projects today, but it's even more important to communicate a mission, to identify what your mission is, what you as a team care about, what's what's personal to you and to find the people who also care about that so that you can bond them together, because that's what's going to make collections stand the test of time. And that's something that we're trying to do and trying to do even better you know, like this is just a very small way to try to do it, but like having people celebrate Bitcoin, celebrate pizza, make a fun video wearing a ninja costume and pizza. The goal of this and why we're doing this, uh, we had about like 500 videos. Now we're, we're, we're extending it because we, I want every single person to do the video because 
by doing that video, number one, it filters the people uh, out of the uh, of the the whitelist grinders, the tra the traders, et cetera, for who actually cares about this, right? Very small thing, maybe take an afternoon to make a video, et cetera. But that small step of showing, hey, I care about this. Those are the people that you want to have in your collection, and you want to have them in on the mint at the mint price. You know, if those if those people are not getting in at the mint price, and those people are instead saying, oh, I missed it, let me move on to the next thing. I think that's a big mistake for collections where you know you can give you can give the allow list to influencers you can give allow list to anyone you want but if it's just for a tweet if it's just for um you know to to show like some social proof it's much less important than selecting people who actually care about it and want to be a part of it i think that's the most important thing for collections going forward you can see Udi doing this that's what happened with crypto punks anybody could buy them for 50 bucks in the bear market after the ico cycle the people who cared about it bought it and then they rocked it as their PFP. And then you came into this, this bull cycle, seeing all of the top founders of different DeFi projects, of different NFT projects, rocking a CryptoPunk. And that's what made the, the collection a, uh, a part of legend. And I think actually DGods is doing a great example of this because if you look at, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> what Frank is, <coughs> like Frank has like, oh, excuse me. <coughs> Frank has like a little dynasty going on in the BTC world. You look at uh, uh, Brad from OXBT and BitGod, they were kind of brought together by Frank. You look at ZK, who is the top alpha caller for DGods, two of the top project founders coming out of a community, being supported by that community. I like to see that too. I like to see like dynasties being built out of these collections. And it's why I'm super bullish on also DGods and season three and uh, them gunning for the top spot here uh, in the coming uh, next few months. Yeah, going to be fascinating to see how D-Gods shakes out on ordinals. And, you know, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know D-Gods, it's one of the most notable NFT collections. Started on Solana, actually migrated to Ethereum, is basically a top five collection on Ethereum now, and does have an ordinals D-Gods collection also. They mined a full block in partnership with Luxor Mining. So really cool stuff uh, coming out of the D-Gods camp. Ladies and gentlemen, if it's your first time listening, this is the Bitcoin Show. We do this every week, normally on Tuesdays, because of the holiday we pushed it a, a day back. Uh, but every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern time, we have discussions and interviews with thought leaders in the Bitcoin space. Show is also available on Apple and Spotify podcasts. And if you want to support the show, a tweet is pinned at the top. That's just the link to this Twitter space uh, that if you retweet will help us get the show in front of as many listeners, as many eyeballs as possible. Um, so I want to talk about a few more things surrounding ordinals on today's show. One thing is, you know, what what ordinals can learn from the last two years of NFTs, um, you know, and applications built on other blockchains like Ethereum? Because obviously, we're in the early innings of ordinals. There's obviously, you know, an incredible amount of promise considering it's built on Bitcoin. Uh, you know, it's layer one. There's there's a lot of exciting stuff that Trevor's already talked about. But I'd love to know what are the areas of improvement that we think are uh, you know, most important. And you know, Trevor, you talked about low-hanging fruit. And I think about all the different applications, like uh, I know Xverse Wallet has been mentioned on today's show. There's several marketplaces on the ordinal side and BRC20 side. But like, you know, Easy and Trevor, you know, what, what areas of improvement do you think make the, the most sense to focus on first if you're building in the ordinals ecosystem? And what kind of impact would improvement in those areas actually have 
on user experience and functionality uh, for those participating in ordinals? Yeah, I would love to go to easy first. Yeah, I mean, easy. Any thoughts? As, yeah, as far as like areas to improve, I think it is just uh, audience, like audience exposure, is a big piece of it. Because right now, a lot of people are still using Magic Eden for a lot of the ordinal volume. So, which which way can you make this more seamless? Of course, bridges and other key components are definitely one of the bigger aspects of this. How can you easily onboard additional crypto into the Bitcoin ecosystem? What ways can make that more seamless for users? And which ways can you continue to push opportunity for net new participants? Of course, people are will always complain about bridges, just moving funds to and from. I think Xverse has done a great job so far making it seamless for ordinal addresses, Bitcoin addresses to get actual currency on there, but marketplaces as well. And something like Unisat for BRC20s, we saw Magic Eden Soft launch theirs, run into a couple of issues. Uh, BitGod just teased... I believe it was OpenSea for OXBT on there. So I just think other ways to make it more seamless for people to get exposure to Bitcoin ecosystems, regardless of the underlying currency, is usually the biggest path forward. Um, and that's something we have seen with things on like Solana and ETH with Crossman to try to streamline this. I think that a blockchain agnostic future makes the most sense, ways that anybody can use any underlying currency to try to get exposure to things that they find interesting and want exposure to. And that's the thing that I think has the most upside potential as far as gaining exposure and onboarding an audience. So I'm very curious to see like infrastructure layers that allow for a seamless transaction of not just Bitcoin as the underlying currency, but ways that ETH can be used, ways that even credit card can be used to try to onboard and leverage those opportunities. And I think that that's something that you can get additional onboarding from a wider audience. I think that's one of the lowest hanging fruits because we've started to see that in other chains. And it does just still feel like we're in the batter's box for ordinals and Bitcoin. Because you see, we've already cycled through a few different marketplaces now with Magic Eating kind of settling as like the marketplace. And I think that's going to continue to scale and grow where it is seamless to interact with all these things without needing to know what the underlying blockchain is for how you purchase and leverage it. Whereas the tech is that Bitcoin layer. So that's for me probably the the main place that I could see infrastructure scale and provide a net new opportunity for more onboarding of a variety of different ecosystems. Yeah, you mentioned Magic Eden. For those that don't have context, Magic Eden rose to prominence as the primary marketplace for Solana NFTs uh, and tried to make an effort to get the attention of the ETH ecosystem. I'd say that the ETH ecosystem wasn't as quick to adopt, but really cool to see what's happening with ordinals on Magic Eden right now. I definitely didn't have that on my bingo card, but obviously people that have been building in the space and know how to execute are able to you know gain market share. And that's you know what you're seeing with Magic Eden. Trevor, anything to add uh, you know, to what Easy said or any other areas that you think are ripe for improvement on Bitcoin or ordinals? Yeah, I think it's I think there's a lot more like the white space continues to 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 grow or at least stay consistent in terms of like low-hanging fruit opportunities. I would love to see people building tooling for more rare sats and rare sat hunting. I think we've seen for the rare sat hunting, there's people who've you know been building different tooling for it, but a lot of it's a lot of it's, you know, just they just keep it for themselves because they're making so much uh, from it and getting these these collecting these rare sats. Um, I would like to see, you know, stat like even stats on rare sats. I mean, Or.io is doing a great job where you can see what's inscribed on rare sats. But you could imagine like even a coin market cap for rare sats. And people are kind of at an impasse right now where we don't know how to expand the category of rare sats because there's actually the potential to have a hundred times the number of rare sats that we do right now than what. Uh, 
than, than what we have. You know, we could have almost a hundred times more because there's a kind of a creative, um, almost branding and storytelling element to it where, you know, of course you have the pizza sats, like that's pretty obvious because it's a very historic transaction, but there's also a lot of other historic things that have happened on Bitcoin, like Silk Road, like, um, you know, Mount Gox, like things that have happened um, that could become potentially memes or, you know, things that people want to collect that in a way are, I think, a, a level closer to Bitcoin as a, a, a potential meme or a collectible play than uh, BRC20s. Um, because BRC20s have the additional complexity when it comes to the indexers that the, the rare sats don't. Um, and so we're at an impasse where it's like a few different people in the community, like Or.io, have like taken some ones which are really solid and put those up there. But now it's like people have ideas for all different kinds of ones. How do you create a market-based solution where we can actually identify what other categories we should include? And how do we create analytics on that so people can actually see what is the supply of those different ones how much are in circulation? When have they recently moved? You know, how many how many pizza sats are also uncommon, are also rare, also have you know other sat attributes to them. This is kind of like a whole black box right now. That even when I talk to some of the sophisticated sat hunters, uh, they don't have uh, tooling built out for this yet. Yeah, you know I mean, what I need, Trevor. I need the <laughs> J- the Japanese sats that SBF exchanged cash for. And what many people speculate to be the biggest OTC trades and how that man made his wealth. That's what I need. The Japanese OTC sats. If you can get me those, <laughs> then we're really cooking. I'm sure those will carry provenance. Uh, no, I mean, the, the uh, you know rare sat aspect to ordinals is so cool. And I think the comparison that I made there um, on a different show was basically that it's almost like having a, a really cool canvas or a really cool surface to paint something on, right? It's like you're just starting with something really cool. Um, it just puts you in a position to make something awesome uh, because your starting point is so strong. So, you know, want to talk a little bit about ordinals impact on Bitcoin itself. Oh, Trevor, before we dive in, go ahead. Yeah, yeah I, mentioned something I forgot, which is that We've also had people inscribe uh, NES emulators in inscriptions and inscribe ROMs in, in, in emulators uh, onto, the, onto Bitcoin where you can like go to an inscription, you can play an NES game. And so I think this is also cool. The same person also created a way that you can actually split data across multiple inscriptions. So let's say we want to inscribe um, an SNES emulator and the binary is like over four megabytes. You know that you, you, as soon as you get closer to four megabytes, it's much harder to inscribe it. You can actually split that up in a way using recursion where you could have a four megabyte file across multiple inscriptions and then one recursive one pulling it together that allows like more things that no, no one has been doing anything with these yet. So I also like the idea of, hey, encrypted inscriptions. So you could imagine that you actually upload something. Say you want to do a ROM. So we all know that there's like IP implications of ROMs. Nintendo is very lit- litigious um, when it comes to ROMs. I don't know what they. I don't know what they would do because you can't take it down um, if that were to happen. But you could upload it and encrypt it so that no one else can view it, and that would be not considered distributing because as long as you don't post that publicly, only you can access it. You know what I'm saying? So I would love to see something like that, and even this could be incorporated into not specifically for ROMs, but it could be incorporated into like different types of treasure hunts, things like that, where you can gamify what you're doing. You have. Um, you know, you could you could hide a decryption key throughout a bunch of different inscriptions, and get people. Maybe they get they uh, they they get something from that. You know, so these are some like there's a there's a lot of different areas that um, I'm looking into now, and I'm seeing that we just need more creators and builders in the space. And in fact, um, the 
the Bitcoin Startup Lab, who is a uh, pre-accelerator incubator program that our fund works with, uh, quite frankly, just kicked off their cohort today. So I was on a call before us with 50 new founders. We're trying to build an ordinals. And so, I mean, man, it's, it's a great time to be involved. Absolutely. And on the early episodes of this show, I mean, the show hasn't been on for that long, right? This I think believe that this is maybe the 15th episode of the show. Uh, but on the early episodes of the show with everybody that came on, I made sure to go out of my way to ask them about their perspective of the state of affairs of building on Bitcoin. And the show's first episode came about, I want to say within two weeks of the launch of Bitcoin Ordinals. So Ordinals has existed for as long as this show's existence. But I've always been fascinated with who's actually building on Bitcoin because some people would try to push the narrative that building on Bitcoin was was moot. You know, obviously this was before Ordinals. But regardless, it's so cool to actually see the progress of the Bitcoin builders and the really cool stuff that's actually being built on Bitcoin. Um, you know, now that I feel like it's it's becoming a little bit more mainstream. So to switch gears a little bit, uh, you know, to ordinals and how they actually affect Bitcoin like as a blockchain and as a cryptocurrency. Uh, I have this chart, and uh, Clemente, the producer of the show, should be able to pin it to the top. It's by Jacob Brown, at Jake Blockchain. A uh, friend of the show, Publius, shared this with me. And the tweet reads, Ordinals are underappreciated. Bitcoin's long-term health of incentives require this chart to be up and to the right forever, Ordinals are just one unforeseen use case adding consistent fee pressure to the market. If Bitcoin mining helps balance out the electrical grid, Bitcoin use cases, uh, other payments that or use case cases, other payments can help balance out the Bitcoin fee market. And what the chart shows is that basically right now, Bitcoin fees post-ordinals are at the same levels that they were at during the COVID bull market. So during the COVID bull market, those fees were just from you know people using the blockchain to transact. Now with ordinals, even though it's a bear market, so in theory you would you would think that this uh, you know price is down, you would think that this chart would not look the same. But ordinals have really brought those fees up, and I know that this has been a controversial topic of conversation when you kind of look at um, the way that the fee discussion happens on places like Twitter, and there's kind of a divide uh, when it comes to that discussion. You know, Trevor, what do you make of ordinals' impact on Bitcoin's fees, and do you agree with with Jake Blockchain here, with Jacob Brown, um, and and the chart that he shared? Yeah, hundred percent. That's Jacob. That's my guy there. He's an associate at the Bitcoin Frontier Fund. So, um, you know, I think this is I think this is the primary reason why Ordinals were able to break through and kind of um, win the the culture war on Bitcoin and pop the cognitive dissonance bubble that the Bitcoin larger Bitcoin community maybe has had over the past few years. Watching all this cool innovation happening on Ethereum and just trying to write it off as as a, oh, that's a that's a theorem that's bad. You know, if it's not invented here, it's not good type of thing. And I think that uh, this is one of the reasons why I jumped in because I could see that that when there's real money uh, exchanging and going to miners and it's actually fixing a real problem that this uh, group of very important stakeholders in the Bitcoin ecosystem is existential to them, where again, the the current block rewards of 6.25 Bitcoin are a subsidy. It's literally called a subsidy. It's a security subsidy to bootstrap the network security to a point where the fees can outweigh 
uh, or the, fee, the fees can take over for covering the, sub, the, sub, the security budget of the blockchain, seeing that you just know that it's going to win, right? And so you know that uh, this makes uh, miners more profitable. Miners are important to the security of Bitcoin. Therefore, any kind of complaints about, oh, NFTs are dumb and, you know, you can right-click save is just a, a, moot, a moot point. And so, you know, the um, ordinals are not just, in my opinion, fixing the security budget here potentially, but it's also opening a category of use cases, which I feel is necessary for Bitcoin to reach mass adoption. I think that people have tried over the past uh, many years, and actually since I first got into Bitcoin in 2013, you know, we had... Uh, I wrote a blog post in 2013 about why I thought Bitcoin was not a bubble and would be successful when everyone was calling it a, a tulip mania. And I said that, you know, first of all, any exponential tech disruptive technology looks like uh, a bubble. Uh, at, if you look at the growth rate, you see, you know, uh, Pokemon Go get 500 million users in three months, which is a different level of product market fit adoption than we've seen in this space. Um, it looks like a bubble, right? Um, but when it comes to... Uh, Back in 2013, the point I'm trying to make is that in that essay, I said, we have 500 merchants on Black Friday accepting Bitcoin. In 2013, we have 500 merchants who are accepting Bitcoin. Over the past decade, we have seen merchants accept Bitcoin, stop accepting Bitcoin, Stripe integrated, not integrated, Visa integrated, not integrated. I can't, see, I can't tell you how many press releases I've seen of Visa, MasterCard doing something with Bitcoin, but, they, but to the casual observer, there's nothing going on with those companies in Bitcoin right now. Like, there's no Bitcoin on my Visa or MasterCard right now. And so... As a, as a, to, be, to become a global form of money, you first need the adoption. The, 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 the use of money scales with the user adoption and, and probably more appropriately scales with the stored value uh, on chain. So we need to find ways to onboard as much wealth as possible onto Bitcoin. And that even, if you, if you agree with that thesis, that even precludes emerging market adoption. And this idea, um, unfortunately, the unfortunate reality is that the majority of wealth in this world is held in a few hands, it's, and it's predominantly in the United States. And you've seen this with disruptive te technologies. If you, you name one, like the, the, the television, you know, flat LCD screens, the telephone, computers, the internet, et cetera, they tend to start in Western markets and then scale outward to emerging markets from there as they decrease in cost. And we see a lot of emerging markets actually not using Bitcoin, but using stable coins. And so... The kind of the thesis of like how Bitcoin will be adopted, I think, has has met a lot of uh, evidence that doesn't match up. And Ordinals provides a path to create to to follow more the Ethereum route of how ad adoption is predicted to go through different types of Web three applications, with the idea of solving hundreds of different use cases and problems, giving people uh, a way to uh, a reason to use Bitcoin one more time per per month. And if you have 60 reasons to use Bitcoin one more time per month, now you've passed what's called the toothbrush test, where um, this was coined by Larry Page, the founder of Google, that products that, that um, are used more than two times per day have the highest chance of reaching mass adoption. And so by onboarding more uh, wealth through DeFi, through disrupting the, financial, the current financial system with Bitcoin in a Bitcoin native way, and then also giving end users more use cases that they that they actually solves a problem for them in real life that they want to use bitcoin every day whether that be even just as simple as buying jpegs creating a circular digital economy where udi wertheimer always likes to say if we can't convince OpenSea to adopt bitcoin as a form of money how are we going to convince nation states we're going down that path that i think will eventually lead us to mass adoption and also creating a culture where failure is okay 
Because if you've ever heard anything about entrepreneurship in Silicon Valley, the, the predominant quality of Silicon Valley that separates it from every other culture and place in the world is that it accepts failure and that it allows people to go out there, try crazy ideas, because that's how innovation happens and how discovery happens that leads to breakthroughs um, and this kind of mass adoption. I mean, you know, very well put, man. And uh, and I think you touched on a lot of important stuff there. One thing that you talked about is like, you know, just uh, the extension of digital ownership through ordinals, right? Because I think anybody that's like a Bitcoin maximalist, for example, will say that they understand digital ownership because of Bitcoin, but it's it extends, right? It extends to, you know, assets that you actually put on the ordinals protocol, right? And, and that needs to be accepted. Quite frankly, it doesn't matter whether an individual accepts it or not because it just kind of, you know, exists. Uh, but that extension of digital ownership, you know, through ordinals and through other crypto products, quite frankly, um, is just such a, a big thing that I think people will grow to understand over time. Um, to close the show, you know, Trevor, you, you've been very vocal about Blur. So for people that don't know, Blur is one of the top two uh, platforms to trade Ethereum-based NFTs right now. Uh, it kind of burst on the scene and it was, um, you know, it took the whole space by storm really. And Trevor has some strong opinions about its impact on that uh, NFT ecosystem. And obviously, like we were talking about earlier in the show, because Bitcoin ordinals in the Bitcoin NFT world, the modern version of that world, I should say, is so young right now, we're seeing trends repeat themselves. We're seeing um, you know, events happen that we've kind of already seen happen on other blockchains. So I think that the Bitcoin ordinals world uh, would you know benefit from learning from existing platforms and existing patterns that we've seen on other blockchains? So I'd love to know quickly what do you think is wrong with Blur, Trevor? And you know how could Ordinals and the people building on Ordinals actually avoid the issues that Blur is creating? Uh, you know, in your opinion, right? Because this isn't universally accepted, but it does feel like people are starting to point the finger at blur in a negative way when it comes to everything going on on the Ethereum side of the NFT space. Yeah, definitely. And and just to reiterate here, you know, I don't know the blur team and I never want to ever talk about like what I think someone's intentions are. Um, um, the intention not to drag their name through the mud. I know there's a lot of blur bag holders out there. I love you guys too. Um, but the way, the way I look at it is, you know, very simple as I've been watching the ordinal uh, marketplace wars play out it's become very, very clear that the marketplaces that dominate have uh, the lowest floors. And so that is the primary driver of why some people are going to go to different marketplaces and say, hey, should I buy on, on Magic Eden or the other place? People say, oh, the floor is lower on Magic Eden. You should go there, right? And Magic Eden has done a very good job of doing this organically. They've done it in an organic way where they have had a launch pad to help projects launch on Magic Eden and, and helped you know, vet different projects. And so those projects, they mint on Magic Eden. And then what do you know? They, they start the listings there on Magic Eden. Okay, very organic and, and a way that, uh, that boosts the community. Now, what Blur did, which I also think is quite brilliant, you know, the, 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 st the strategy they put around these tokens, has clearly it worked in a, in a spe to a spectacular degree. They're dominating the market on Ethereum. They created a token incentive to attract liquidity, right? And they did, they've, they've modified this model throughout time. And they also adeptly realized that in order to win, they need to have the lowest floor. And so if you actually dig into how the current mechanisms are working 
And by the way, the, 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 the key point here is, is not about how this mechanism works in a bull market or how it works in those scenarios. It's really about how it's working right now and what the data is showing us it's doing right now in this specific time in the environment that we're in. The, the key point is that um, we have, again, uh, big traders like, like uh, Machi, who's also very, a very smart trader, you can love him or hate him, whatever, who is taking a $14 million loss on trading on Blur over the past um, four months. Okay, and he's also tweeted that he's, he, he, he thinks it's a, he's gonna make more than his money back, right? And so why are people, why are the different farmers losing money? Well, they're losing money because there's an incentive. And when they're losing money, they're lowering the floors. And so it, it makes logical sense that the incentive, and also it's to uh, Blur's benefit, that the incentive is directly, I would do it too, the incentive would be directed to lower the floors. And we're seeing that, we're seeing that the floors are going down, we're seeing that people are taking lots of losses because they can make it back uh, through the incentive. And to put things into perspective, the incentive is a $100 million incentive, okay? Uh, that's at the current spot price of the Blur token. I believe it's 300 million tokens uh, that are going to give it on this airdrop. We don't know when the airdrop is coming. Um, but the current Ethereum entity market cap among the top 100 projects is only 4 billion. Okay. And so if we say that a uh, $1 spent on lowering the floor impacts the market caps between 10 to $50, million would be uh, at the, the high end of that 50X on $100 million is $5 billion. The total market of the top 100 projects is 4 billion. In the worst case scenario, and we, we don't know, you know what the exact degree for every dollar incentivized, and we don't know how power, like incentive is somewhat indirect. It's, it's quite clever. Um, but, the, but if it was like a direct, you know, and it was going to the max of 50X, only $80 million is needed to probably wipe out the NFT market. The thing about NFTs is they're not stocks. They're not commodities. Uh, it's not a thing where you can have an intrinsic value to it that the price goes down, people just uh, jump into it. In fact, they're looked at as like Veblen goods, goods where the, the demand increases with the price or where the actual price highly affects the perception of the good itself. And so, you know, Zero, who is a, a, a sappy seal who tweets a lot of great stuff, you know, he said that um, if you look at the, um, uh, he, he made a tweet like a few weeks ago when you Napes were like 10 ETH, and he was like, who would love to buy this at 6 ETH? And like everybody was like, I'd love to buy it. There are 6 ETH now, and he retweeted the same thing. People are like, oh no, you know, Yuga, they're not doing a good job. You know, I'm, I don't want to buy it, et cetera. The price action on the NFTs highly affect the perception of the market of these assets. And when you have an incentive to, uh, to lower the floor, which is a smart strategic thing to do, um, depending on the size of that, there, there's no guarantee that it's going to function like a stock or commodity where people will just jump in and, and start buying it up. In fact, it, it may not, the demand may not increase at all or very, or very minimally as these prices go down and down. And I think the challenge is that it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a slow boil, right? It's kind of like chipping away at the floors like 1% at a time because what the farmers are incentivized to do, they're uh, incentivized to keep a bid up there as long as possible. It's a bid-based uh, incentive. And then as soon as they get, uh, uh, as soon as someone accepts one of their bids, they're not earning points anymore. So they need to get rid of that asset as fast as possible to get back up there and place another bid. And so the incentive is for them to uh, dump it right away. And then to, for the whales, they can actually take an, uh, a loan out on blend and then they can 
use that liquidity to pay a lower bid right away. So the whales are like just pacing lower and lower bids and, and dumping. But for the people who are not whales, I'm calling them the chumps in my article because they don't have enough liquidity uh, for a loan to top them up. They will list it below the floor or even worse at the same price that they, that they got it for, maybe even slightly less. And so you had this dynamic of like t every 30 minutes ticking away, chipping away at the floor. And we've seen from the data that actually these are not any holders selling. In fact, some of these collections, there's new holders buying in, holder accounts are going up. Meanwhile, this group of farmers and mercenary capital is just kind of chipping away at the floor, going lower and lower. And no one's aware of this. So people are just looking at blur and they're, and they're seeing like red from selling from the farmers accepting the bids. Because if you accept the bid, it's considered a sell. They're just seeing red, 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 red. And they're thinking this is uh, potentially holders selling because they're not digging deeper into analytics. And then other people who are even less removed are just like looking at the floor price and they're just saying, why am I, why is my asset going down 1% per day? And so you have this, um, what I thought was like, I've always heard the FUD about blur and I didn't really, you know, subscribe to it because I didn't think there was like any data to back it up. But now we're seeing real data being like, and real logic being like, Hey, if you want to win this marketplace war, you need to have the lowest floor. Why not incentivize $100 million to do it? The problem is $100 million is such a big incentive that depending on the time frame here, it could create massive carnage in the market. Very well put. And to summarize, I think that marketplaces uh, and infrastructure products that are being built in crypto in general need to be very, very aware of the incentives that they create. And when you have a guy like Machi, uh, who is a controversial whale on the Ethereum side of the NFT space, willingly losing $14 million, that is not an exaggeration, ladies and gentlemen, that's literally how much money he has lost in realized uh, losses during this season of Blur, $14 million, and him thinking, that's no problem. I'm actually going to, you know, make that up with the incentives that Blur is providing. Um, so anyway, look, ladies and gentlemen, that's our show. Big thanks to Trevor and Easy for, uh, you know, really carrying the discussion today, talking about ordinals uh, and all things, you know, NFTs on Bitcoin. If it's your first time listening, the show happens every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Today, uh, we did it a day after because of the holiday yesterday, but we will be back next week on Tuesday. We have some kick-ass guests next week and the week after. Really, really exciting stuff coming up for the Bitcoin show. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you follow the Bitcoin show account that is hosting this space right now. Just give it a quick follow. That's where you can get all updates regarding the Bitcoin show. And if you enjoy the show enough to share it with your friends, then go to Apple or Spotify podcast. The links are in the Bitcoin show account and you can share with people outside of the Twitterverse or if you want to listen to the show yourself while you're on the move. That's a really easy way to do it. But anyway, we'll be back next week. Our co-host Aubrey should be back next week also. And we hope everybody enjoyed the show. One more thank you to Trevor and Easy for joining Trevor, my co-host uh, every single week on this show, and Easy for making his second appearance on the show to dive deep into the market for Bitcoin ordinals. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day, and we'll be back next week. See you then.